This morning we're going to be in the book of James in chapter 2, starting in the 14th verse. But before we begin in James, I want to read a scripture reading. And I decided to keep it until just before I read that, so we keep things kind of in a context here, the way I want to put it uh, as a message this morning. So I'd like to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But, God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised. Uh, uh, and <clears throat> by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Familiar passage as we look at it and and understand and the key thing that you want to walk away from that is, is that how are we saved? We're saved by grace through faith. And Paul makes it very clear that even the faith is coming through God's gift to us. And so we come back to that position where we don't bring anything to the table. He brings us to the table and, and He opens the door. He opens our eyes. He opens our mind. And so we can't take any credit for our salvation. There's nothing in it that we bring, and uh, we've sung, we sing so many times, uh, you know, different songs that talk about uh, what Christ has done, and one of them mentioning that even if the whole world were ours, uh, it wouldn't be insufficient. It wouldn't be enough. And so that's the whole creation of the earth to be brought before God could not purchase the, the salvation. And I, I don't know if that's mind-boggling to you. It is to me. Uh, that that everything that is created in this earth is not enough to purchase our salvation. It took God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. So, coming into to James, uh, just a quick review. Recall that in in last uh, spring when we were looking at this, uh, James chapter one, we talked about the testing of our faith. And how the faith creates in us perseverance. It actually builds us up. It's actually something that, that we can actually be thankful for. And we don't think about trials and tribulations and testing of our faith as something to be thankful for. But as we get through it and go through it with Christ guiding us through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we turn back and we can see what God has done through even the most um, awkward and, 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 and frustrating and sometimes uh, disappointing and, 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 and grievous situations where God has done things and, and built our faith up and caused our faith not only to grow, 
but to be something that we can share with someone else even in a more compassionate and full sort of way. So the testing of our faith is something that, that we look to and say, it is awesome that God has, has ministered to us through the trials and tribulations. And Jesus said we're going to have the trials and tribulations. In fact, he actually went as far as to say that the world was going to hate us if we followed him because it's hated him. So keep all of that in mind as we, we go into this. The testing of our faith is, is something that is, is positive. It builds up our strength in our walk with the Lord. And as we uh, study faith uh, we, and, and look at it in chapter 1, there's a, a key that comes down to it where it's the hearing and the doing of the Word. In other words, don't be just hearers of the Word. And when it says hearers of the Word there, it doesn't just mean hearing, but it can mean readers of the Word too. In other words, don't let just the Word be what you focus on and hear and listen to or read, but be what? Doers of the Word. That's where you're reflecting, where it reflects the fact that God is actually working in you, is when you become a doer in the Word. Paul also speaks in chapter 2, we've already talked about this, the sin of partiality. We're not to, to show uh, partiality. In fact, he goes on and says in, in, in uh, verses 8 through 13, talks about the royal law. The royal law is the, uh, the law of love. God so loved is, is part of it. But it's also our response to that. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? This is the royal love. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and love our neighbors as ourselves. That's why we are, it's a sin to show partiality. In fact, he goes on to say, he talks about uh, uh, adultery and, and uh, murder, and, and you think, boy, those are horrendous things. And he says, no matter what part of the law you break, you have broken all of it. So even if you've committed the sin of partiality, you're as guilty of breaking the law as an adulterer or a murderer. And so James is putting all of this together in such a way that he's, he's drawing a picture that's saying, you know, we're to be walking with, with God and we, we cannot make any excuses for not doing it. So we pick up where we're going to, uh, oh, and just verse 13 where we left off uh, last week of, of chapter 2. It says, For judgment is without mercy to one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What it's saying is that God's mercy, His grace, triumphs over judgment. When we rest in God, in His mercy, there's no condemnation in us. There's no judgment that will, will His wrath is removed from us. However, the reverse of that is if we are unmerciful and, and we don't show mercy where we have been shown mercy, then God's not working in us. As a result, His judgment is going to be there. That's very familiar in the sense of what Jesus talks about when He says, you know, Father, forgive us as we have forgiven others. Do you ever you think about that prayer as you pray it? You really want to be forgiven? 
the way you forgive others. So what we're saying is God created in us a heart that's your heart for forgiveness, for grace, for mercy, for those around. In fact, even towards not just our neighbors, not just the people that are our friends, but even towards our enemies. We are to pray for them, to show them mercy and grace and forgiveness. James speaks where we're going to talk today about faith in the sense of without works. In other words, what, what are we looking at when we see faith without works? Verse 14 of chapter 2. What good is, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can this faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace and be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. This would almost seem in contrast to the idea of being saved by grace and grace alone. But that's not what James is basically saying. Is As we are saved by grace, if grace takes root in us, if salvation takes root in us, if the indwelling of the Holy Spirit happens, something's going to happen inside us and we are going to change And we've talked about this over and over again, even through some of our messages this summer. There's a new creation. There's a new creature in Christ in us. We are not the same person. We we went through Romans uh, and shared in chapter 12 that we are uh, are going to be transformed rather than conformed to the world. We're going to be transformed. That idea of transformed isn't just an idea of, of a change of habit. It's a change of being. A change of heart, a change of mind in the sense of, uh, well, actually, it's metamorphosis. Uh, we're not going to be the same. And so, what James is saying is if that's true, there should be evidence in your life, in your walk. But what I'm going to look at is, is, is the, the, the question of of, of, of you know, he, this idea of dead faith. He says in verse 17, faith without works is dead. In verse 20, he says, faith apart from works is useless. And in verse 26, he says, faith without, uh, works, is, uh, uh, without works is dead, or apart from works is dead. So, this is a theme all the way through chapter 2 that he's concerned about. So, what must have been happening was people must have been proclaiming Christ, saying, oh, I'm a believer, but acting like the person he's mentioning here uh, who has no concern whatsoever for the persons in need. I think it's an interesting picture he draws here, by the way, that we are to do more than to pray for those who are needy. And it's, he makes it real clear. If you have the means in your pocket to minister to the need of someone that's come up and... and and you have the, minute, the ability to do that, and you say, go and, and be fed and be warm, and, and you don't minister to their needs, your faith is, is 
not real. That's a pretty harsh statement. Makes us have to think about how we reach out and how we minister to people around us. Some key thoughts about faith in general. Uh, the stock chapter, uh, I, I, I guess you could say for, for uh, in reference to faith, would be chapter 11 of Hebrews. And if you were to look at that, uh, chapter 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By the way, what does that tell us? That faith was the way people were saved in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made and are, are things that are uh, not made out of things that are visible. It goes on to speak about uh, some, you know, Abel and, 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 and Enoch. And then in verse 6 it says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And what He's talking about there when He says rewards those who seek Him is those, He rewards those who seek Him through Jesus Christ. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. If you are seeking God, you are seeking through Christ, you, you, know, the, you know, the reward will come to you, and, and faith will be a part of what you have. And so that's pretty much the, the, the standard chapter for faith. But Ephesians, which I read just a, a minute ago, uh, in chapter uh, 2, is the, a picture of, of, of faith that I, that I think is so powerful. It starts off, as we go through it together, it says, you were dead. And the idea of dead here means fully, completely, totally separated from God. And you're going to physically die. <laughs> But, but here this idea of you were dead was separated from God. Why? Because of the trespasses of, uh, of sin. In which you once walked. The you is generic here. It's not just a maybe you, maybe you, maybe you. It is us. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who is he talking about there? The devil. Among whom all of you once lived in the passions of her flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and of the nature of children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. In other words, we were doomed. We were helplessly, hopelessly lost. And we didn't care. <laughs> That's the sad part about it. We were, we were content in our worldliness. We were content in our sin. In fact, we might have even thought we were okay. We might have even given credence to God in some ways. I can recall before I was a, a believer, I believed in an intelligent design. I believed that somehow, somewhere, there was an intelligent designer that put it together and we can call him God, but I, I don't know that you could know him personally through 
through Christ and, and, and through the Scriptures, but that there was something out there. And so my, my statement would have been, if there is a heaven, I'm not any bet worse than anyone else. And, you know, and I'm certainly not, and I, I, I would automatically say I'm not the worst person out there. There are murderers and adulterers out there. I may show partiality, but I'm not the worst of them. If, 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 if there's a heaven, I stand, I, I, I stand as much a chance as anybody else of getting there. Well, what did we just read about what sins that you commit? There's no order of, or ranking of sin before the throne of God. One miss is all it takes. And there's none of us in here that can say we've only missed once. You do understand the idea of sin. I know we, you know that you've, I'm preaching to the choir at times when I say it this way because you've heard the, the analogy so many times. But the target, somebody shooting the arrow at the target, the only thing that counts is the bullseye. Anything less than the bullseye is missing the mark, which is sin. So that's who we were. We were dead. In our trespasses. We were dead in our sin. And look what happens. It says, But God, being rich in mercy. We talked about mercy does what? It trumps, triumphs over judgment. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. While we were dead in our trespasses. We weren't looking for an answer at this point. We were, we were helplessly, hopelessly lost and we weren't pursuing God in any way. While we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive. So who gets the credit here? God and God alone. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up from Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. So here you are. We, rich in mercy, we were dead and He has made us alive. He has raised us up. He has seated us with Him. He has done it all. In the heavenly places is where we are seated. By grace you have been saved through faith. And again, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And why? A result of works. So that no, it's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There isn't a person in, in, in the kingdom of God who has the right to say anything special about himself in reference to God's grace and mercy on them. There isn't any of us in this room, any of us in the kingdom of God that deserve grace more than someone else. In fact, all we deserve, and we say it over and over again, but all we deserve is wrath. 
The grace is a gift. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we, and this is, this is where I really want to go with this, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is where James is trying to drive us to. We are His workmanship. We are created for what? His work. His kingdom's work. Work that was decided on before the foundation of the world that we would do. And so if we are children of God, we have been designated to do this work, to come alongside and be a part of the work of the kingdom of God. Wherever God has put us is our mission field. Wherever God has put us, we are to be a testimony and a witness to the faith that He is building in us and the strength that He gives us to see through the uh, times. And so we come to trials and tribulations. We come to testings of our faith. And people will see how we go through those things. And occasionally, and maybe some of you have experienced this, someone will come up and say, how did you get through that? And you've heard me many times say this. Peter says, be prepared to give a testimony. We are always to be prepared to give a testimony. And it's an interesting thing. We could share Scripture until we're blue in the face, but our testimony is ours. Nobody can dispute your testimony. They can say they don't believe you and that type of thing. But the reality is, is that this is what God has done for us. This is what God did for me. This is how He did it. This is what he saw me through. By the way, it was somebody's testimony just like that. On August 15th, well, that was a little, May actually in May of 1976, that, that, that he shared his testimony with me that opened my eyes to say, maybe God is real. It wasn't a dramatic turnaround, but... The idea was, I'll look at this more seriously. And God opened my eyes through His testimony. I believe that was the most providential thing. I, I, I can't help but believe that God had it snow in May in paradise so that I would end up at that seat at that point at that time. That's how sovereign I believe God is in putting things together. I don't know how many other people he was ministering to, obviously, at the same time because he's omnipresent, omniscient. He can do it all at once. But the idea was that he was working on me. We were dead. Now we're alive. By grace, through faith, a gift of God. Not by works, no boasting. As we look at faith, and maybe you've heard this before, maybe you haven't. I I can't take credit for this. It's something that I borrowed from R.C. Sproul. Uh, But the idea of true faith has three essential parts to it. One is an intellectual part. It's knowledge. Knowing about salvation and the work of Jesus Christ. You know the facts, you know the story, uh, you, you know what the Gospels talk. In other words, you, you are aware of it, you, you've seen it, you, you've read it, you've had it teach, you know, you know, taught to you, uh, and so you have a knowledge of 
salvation. You have a knowledge of the Word of God. It's an intellectual ascent. By itself, that can't save you. It's not enough. To know about God is not enough. To believe, the second part of it is to believe that the content of the gospel is true. In other words, the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ all happened. You believe that that is true. It's the true life of Christ revealed to us. And so we believe. We have an intellectual understanding that, hey, this, this, is, uh, this has been taught to me and I believe it's true. Still not enough. James says even the demons believe that. And I was thinking as I was looking at that, and I thought, have you, you know, the, some of the encounters of Christ and, and the demons, the demonic possessed people? And I think of the, the one in, in, in Mark chapter 5, and I think it's in, in Matthew as well, and Luke. I think all three Gospels report it. But the, the Gesserinian demoniac, or demoniacs, because one of them records that there was two of them. Okay, these guys were demon-possessed. They lived in the tombs on, in this area called Gesserini. And it was across the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and, and so this was a common known area. In fact, these guys had been there long enough that there had been attempts to chain them, to bind them, and no one could could keep them bound they they would they they couldn't keep them down so what did they do they stayed away from that area now jesus coming across the lake next thing you know the boat comes to a stopping spot spot in 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 the right there you know that the the i believe the disciples knew exactly where they were and it doesn't say anything about it them being on on guard but it says that these two guys came running out of the tombs Down the hill to where Jesus was. If I had been a disciple getting out of the boat like this, I'd have gotten back in. I've knew, I've heard, if not having seen it by my for, on my own, I've heard about it. I know about these guys. They're nuts. They're crazy. They're demon possessed. Nothing can contain them. Nothing can control them. And Jesus didn't say a word. They came up and fell down at the feet of Jesus and pleaded with Him to not cast them into the place of judgment. They know Jesus. They believe in Jesus. But are the demonic, are the demons saved? No. They intellectually know about Him. They physically know about Him. They know who He is. They're even afraid of His judgment and His power and His authority. So, it's not enough to have an intellectual understanding. It's not enough to have a belief. Even the demons do that. What is essential is the placing of your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And what that means 
is more than just saying he's my Savior. It's an idea of confession. Paul says confession with your mouth, believing in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, risen from the dead. And it's not just an intellectual thing. It's a saying, I am a sinner and I need that Savior. So when I'm confessing with my mouth that Jesus is the Christ, what I'm saying is He is the one I need to be saved. He is the one I need to have access to the throne of God. He is the one I need for heaven to become a reality in my life. There is no other way but through Christ Jesus. Jesus said it Himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way into heaven but through Me. And so, we have this intellectual the uh, uh, actual belief, but it's a placing our trust and, and, and admitting that we are sinners and helplessly, hopelessly lost and only can be saved through Jesus Christ where it becomes a reality and we can say now mercy triumphs over judgment for us. Again, something from R.C. Sproul. Uh, this is actually, I just copied this off. The Protestant reformers in summarizing the Bible teaching were clear that justification is by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. Isn't that an interesting way of putting it? Justification is by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. We are not saved by a mere profession of faith, but by a procession of faith. And when faith is truly present in the heart, it necessarily, inevitably, and immediately bears fruit. Something immediately begins to happen in us. Not weeks down the road, not months down the road. Immediately begins to happen. I know the day I confessed to Jesus Christ, the moment that I confessed Christ, Something changed. And things started to open up in a different way. God started to lead. I started to get information. All of a sudden, a church opens up and, and I, oh, that's where I need to be. All these different things became a part of my, you know, my transition, if you will, my transformation. Truly present, if it's truly present in the heart, it necessarily, inevitably, and immediately bears fruit as good works of service to God and neighbor. These works, in no sense, merit a right standing with God. But if they are not present, neither is justifying faith. That's what James is getting at. It doesn't save you, but if they're not there, you're not saved. And somebody says, well, they must be saving me then. No. What saves you is the faith in Jesus Christ opening your heart. But the transformation, you can't fight it. It has to be there. If it's not there, neither is saving faith. Let us be clear. Our good works do not get us into heaven. We must always be careful to make the distinction that while faith alone justifies us, the faith that justifies us is never alone, but demonstrated to be alive 
through the works that God performs through us. Someone says, again, he, going back to James, someone says he has faith, it implies that this faith says the right things, knows the truth, but does not have the fruit. That's what James is saying. And he says this type of faith clearly says is dead. Again, look at the, the verse uh, seven, 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And then he says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? In other words, that part of it. And then closing this chapter again, verse 26. Faith apart from works is dead. Knowing about Christ, it's not enough. Demons know that. In a way of, of, of a closing thought, true faith, and I'm going to be careful here, I'm going to say, we're not perfect when we have this faith. Even our works are, are, are things that we grow in. We become better at doing the service of the Lord and working in the kingdom of God. And so it's a growing process. That's the transformation. Paul calls it working out our salvation or the process of sanctification. But the, the reality is, is that we, knowing we are not perfect, where do we rest? In Christ's perfection. In what He has done perfectly. True faith leads to a transformation. And a transformation leads to action in your life in reference to serving God. Again, we're alive in Christ. We're raised up with Him. We're seated with Him. We are new creatures. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 We're new creatures in Christ. We are His workmanship. Ephesians 2.10 Created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This transformation is one that comes from a person who looks at themselves and sees who they are before the throne of God. The closest thing I could come to in, in, in my mind of seeing this clearly in, in, in one passage was Psalm 51. Created me a clean heart. David is sinned with Bathsheba. He's, des- he's, de- he's desperate. He knows there's no hope for him outside of God. And he says, Created me, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Give to me, Lord, uh, your, through your Holy Spirit, uh, restoring me. Lift me up. Set me apart. There'll be a new song in my mouth. All the things that he talks about. Created me a clean heart, O oh God. I am a sinner. Only You, Lord, can rescue me. When we come to communion, that's the heart we need to have. Only You, Lord, can rescue me. Only You, Lord, have succeeded in providing the avenue of salvation. And You did it through 
coming in the flesh and pouring out your life, pouring out your blood and dying on the cross and claiming the words for us, it is finished. Nothing owed. It is finished. What an amazing thing. Ask the ushers to come and uh, pass the communion out. Hold it until we've all been served. And we'll share it together.